They entice people. They promise them freedom. They say, do this and you will be happy. Do this and things will go well for you. But they are slaves, enslaved by sin. And the real sad part is their seduction is targeting Christians. Christians who walk in this dark world and maybe aren't aware of the deceit that they bring. Peter says, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. False teachers will target the Christians who don't know the scriptures or who are weak in faith, who have just escaped the sinful desires of this world and found forgiveness and cleansing and new life in Christ. And they will entice them to turn back to sin and to turn away from their God. And they will promise them that they will find happiness. But Peter warns, it's an empty freedom. This message is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Ancient Faith for Today's World. September 18th, 2022. 2 Peter 2, 1-19. The other day I was driving through Flagstaff and on my way back home I decided I would stop at a place where I could grab a bite to eat and a cup of coffee. So as I was driving I saw the sign for a store, the one that had that tagline, Best Donuts in the State of Arizona. And so I made my way and parked in front of the store. Only when I got there, I found I was deceived by that sign. The store was still under construction. So I left disappointed. You probably know the feeling when you are promised something, but it just doesn't deliver what was promised. We get that feeling when we look at the sky and we see what looks like a, a rain shower that's going to come and the dry ground is going to receive a rainfall and then the clouds don't deliver, but just are blown on their way. We're deceived. And maybe you've had a, an empty promise from something far worse than a donut shop sign. And you were disappointed, even if it was something not as important as a donut. Peter warns us in 2 Peter that there will be empty lies and deceptions in this world. And in this dark world, it's for things not just we see in the sky or on store signs, but the false promises and the deception of false teachers. That's what Peter warns against in 2 Peter chapter 2. And as we continue our series looking at how we travel from darkness to dawn, we see how our God responds to all the deceptions which cause damage and destruction to those who are duped by them the false teachers of this world. Peter tells us, don't let the darkness deceive you. Here in chapter 2, Peter begins by reminding us that there were many who were deceived in the past. Just read your Old Testament and you'll see the false prophets of the Old Testament. They were the ones who went up against the true prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Elijah, and the struggle for the truth you can see on the pages over and over again is found in the Old Testament. But the struggle goes on still. Peter says, just as there were false prophets among the people, there will be false teachers among you. We will still encounter those who seek to destroy by their deception and turn people aside from the truth. Peter says, they will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Notice 
false teachers aren't so easy to always spot. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Their false teachings, damaging as they are, won't always appear so harmful. They'll promise something wonderful and so good, but false teachings come in a very backhanded and cunning way. That's why it's so dangerous for churches that try to avoid creeds or say that they, they don't really stick to any real doctrine. They just teach the Bible. Well, the Bible is doctrine. And if you don't know your Bible and you don't know the teachings, the doctrines of the Bible, you will be duped and deceived by false teachers. They look for churches that don't hold to any creed or any faithful teaching. And they will often be found in such churches. And false teaching, Peter says, is destructive. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Someone might say, well, what's the matter if a couple of Christians have a difference of opinion? Well, false teaching is damaging. Whether that false teaching might harm the confidence of someone's faith, cause them to stumble in their faith, hinder their fruits of faith, or maybe even the false teaching might cause someone to fall away from faith. This is something destructive. False teaching is not something you can just brush off or say this part or that part of the scriptures don't really matter. False teaching heresies cause damage. And that damage sometimes can be pretty far spread. Peter says, many will follow their depraved conduct. You know, maybe the false teaching gets introduced in a deceptive, kind of backhanded way. But that false teaching duplicates. And soon, as Peter says, many are following it, it becomes the popular teaching. You might see the person who is a tele-evangelist and they have a large television audience, or maybe they have a lot of followers and the people that read their books. It might even depict on the, the cover of the book, best-selling book by best-selling author. But Peter warns, numbers don't equate faithfulness. Sometimes that best-selling author might promise something, but they can't deliver on it. But rather, they're bringing deceptive lies, destructive heresies. The largest church is not always the best church. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. See, the, the harm and damage done by false teachers goes even beyond their flock. The damage that false teachers cause can also cause damage to Christians around them. Those who bear the name Christian, other Christian churches, are seen as in the same depraved conduct of these false teachers. And it brings, as Peter says, the way of truth into disrepute. Someone might see a Christian congregation that follows some false teaching, which is a depraved one, Peter says. And others might say, well, why would I ever follow that? And yes, they are depraved. Sometimes false teachers will speak of moral platitudes and they'll, they'll push people towards work righteousness. In that sense, turning aside from Christ and his, his gospel as they create their own. But on the other hand, there are false teachers who will seek to promote pride in sin and to tolerate sin. And this Peter calls a depraved conduct. 
And what do these teachers work towards? They're not working to serve themselves. They are far worse than that sign that deceives. They're causing harm for their own benefit. Peter says, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. They're not interested really in anything but what commonly interests, what commonly will interest false teachers, which is their own personal gain, their own personal advantage and wealth and self-concern. Peter says, how does God respond? Their condemnation has been long hanging over them and their destruction has not been sleeping. What Peter warns against here is the false teaching of those who are turning against the truth of God's with depraved conduct, following their own sinful lusts. How does God respond to false teachers? He responds. And we have many examples. Though many churches don't like to mention what Peter mentions here, God acts against immorality, sexual immorality, and depraved sins. He says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell. Peter's going to mention for us three, and this is the first of them, three examples from the Old Testament where we see God responding to depravity and the sinful heart. One was the angels. When the devil sinned, an angel, a powerful being, and the following of angels with him, God sent them to hell, made hell for the devil, bound them with chains, spiritual chains, to be held for judgment. If God is going to hold angels accountable, will he not hold us accountable when we rebel and turn against him? If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, not only did God act when sin came in the heavenly realms, but when sin entered the world and sin grew upon the earth, God did respond in judgment as he sent the great flood and destroyed all life on the world. Can you imagine that? Can you picture that? All of life on this world literally being wiped out with the wave of God's judgment and quenched under his anger, save only Noah and those with him in the ark. And the third example that Peter gives, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, consider that. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah with what we find were sexual immorality, all sorts of lust and evil desires, ungodliness, if God literally sent down fire to burn them up and did not spare any, save for Lot, who cried out against this sin, how will he respond with sexual immorality today? Peter says, this was an example. He says, he made them an example for what is going to happen to the ungodly. Sin is something God does respond to. And though some might say, well, this, this sin or that sin isn't such a big deal. We should be more tolerant. Peter warns that the lies of false teachers is destructive. And how do they go about with their lies? Peter says, they follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Does that sound familiar? 
Do you see a, a trend in the world today where many are told to follow the corrupt desire of the flesh? Maybe you've heard people saying, follow your heart. Do what makes you happy. Don't worry about what God says. Follow your own desires. And despise authority. Who's going to tell me what to do with my self and my body? Peter warns that this is the lie that deceives. He says, Bold and arrogant, they are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Even angels don't tread where those who teach falsely will tread and lead people. But these people are like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct. Maybe if you hear Peter describing the ungodly in that light, those who are committing sexual sins and following the desires of their heart as mere unreasoning animals, you might say, well, Peter, you're going a little bit far. Don't you think that's a bit unloving? But Peter is framing it as it is. When someone is following the desires of their own heart, he's leading us to wonder, and the Christian should be asking, how is that any different from what a pig does? If we simply chase after our own cravings for our own selfish purposes and desires. And Peter says, they will be paid back for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. The false teachers that Peter warns against, though they may introduce their teachings secretly, they are proud of their sin. And they will flaunt their sin in the end. Does that sound familiar? Look at the world around you today and don't think this is just the darkness that's found on some street corner. Peter says, they are feasting with you. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. These lies come from within the Christian church. Peter is warning against false teachers, just like in the Old Testament, who spoke in God's name and took on the name of the Lord, but led the people into sin. He's warning that that will come as false teachers who mingle with Christians, who take on the name of Christianity, will lead people to their own sinful desires, the desires of their sinful hearts. And Peter says, they're kind of like Balaam. This is how they operate. Balaam, you see, was a, a man that was hired by the king of Moab to put a curse on the Israelites. And Balaam was known to be powerful, so to speak, in these curses, but the Lord made it clear that Balaam could not speak against Israel. Nonetheless, out of greed, in blindness, much like an unreasoning animal, Chasing after his own desires, Balaam went forward against the Lord to put a curse on his people, to put a curse on the Israelites. And ironically, Balaam, who was acting like an unreasoning animal, going headstrong against the Lord, was rebuked by a donkey. In the end, when his plan to curse the Israelites could not be carried out, he still went forward with a backup plan. Balaam's backup plan was to tell the Moabite woman and have and encourage them to seduce the Israelite men into sexual immorality. And sadly, that seduction in part worked and many perished. 
This is how the deception and the lies of false teachers work. They know that maybe they can't force you away from Christ, but they can seduce you away from Christ. And to seduce you, they will often turn to the sensual pleasures to say, this is what you need and what you want. Peter says, they're, they're like the clouds that promise rain but are empty. They're like a well that, that promises a drink of water but it can't satisfy. I have not known any who have chased after their own sensual desires and who remained satisfied. Those who have turned to sexual sins and have proudly declared, I will do what I want, and in the end found themselves still enjoying their life and satisfied with their sexual cravings. The lust of the human heart will lead down a dark path, and it deceives. It does not give what it promises. Peter says that these people promise freedom while they themselves are slaves to depravity. Those who follow the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people. They promise them freedom. They say, do this and you will be happy. Do this and things will go well for you. But they are slaves, enslaved by sin. And the real sad part is their seduction is targeting Christians. Christians who walk in this dark world and maybe aren't aware of the deceit that they bring. Peter says, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. False teachers will target the Christians who don't know the scriptures or who are weak in faith, who have just escaped the sinful desires of this world and found forgiveness and cleansing and new life in Christ. And they will entice them to turn back to sin and to turn away from their God. And they will promise them that they will find happiness. But Peter warns, it's an empty freedom. They promise freedom, but they cannot deliver. They're worse than that donut shop that didn't have any donuts. They have poison food that kills and destroys the soul. How does God respond to all this? Well, well we know how God responds as Peter lists the, the judgment of God, that he's holding the devil and his angels and all who follow him who are deceived and who travel like unreasoning brute beasts into darkness. He will treat them as they are, enemies, and he will bring them under his judgment. And if God did not spare the ancient world, he will not spare you if you chase after these lies and all who are duped. But we see God also responding in another way. He responds even before the fall into sin, God has a plan. And he responds even before the world is covered in darkness. It says here at the start of the chapter, they are denying the master, the, the sovereign Lord who bought them. They were enslaved. This whole world is fallen in the slavery and sin, fallen under the cunning deception of the devil. But it says the Lord bought them. When the devil sinned, he did not get a chance. The fallen angels did not get a chance. But marvel at this. When Adam and Eve turned into sin, God gave a rescue plan that he would destroy the prince of darkness and crush him and that one would be born to rescue them. And the plan became clear that God would rescue. That's what he does. 
When it's mentioned that the world was destroyed in the flood, God saved Noah. God rescues. He rescues those who trust in him. Noah, a preacher of the righteousness of God. And when the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed in the fire, Lot was brought out as God sent the angels to pull him out and to rescue him from the destruction. God knows how to rescue. And that rescue that he promised is a real promise that he will deliver on. In order to buy this world back from the slavery of sin, he sent his son to rescue us. Don't be deceived by the darkness and its promises, but listen to the promise of God who himself came into this dark world. The Son of God was sent down, and he did not come for exploiting this world for his own greed and selfish purposes. He didn't come for riches or anything else, but he set aside all riches, all wealth, and he came on behalf of this world. He didn't come to follow the sinful desires of a human heart. He came with a pure human heart and the desire to give us what is good and to serve us by rescuing us from the dominion of darkness and our own slavery to sin and the curse of sin. He came to rescue us. So Peter says, the Lord who bought them. Jesus died for the false teachers. He died for those who followed the depraved desires of their hearts. He follows those who are duped into darkness. He paid for them. He bought them with his blood. And we know his promises will deliver. He rose again from the grave. And he promises and says to this world, which is enslaved in sin, come, find in me freedom, not just an empty freedom, but a real freedom. As sure as Christ rose from the tomb and bought us from our sins, we will walk in newness of life with our sins forgiven. Come, he says, and enjoy real and lasting eternal freedom in my kingdom. This is a promise God has kept and will forever keep. And as we follow Christ, we know there is darkness around us that would seek to pull us away from our God into the desires of the flesh, would seek to seduce God's people back into darkness. Don't be deceived. And don't let the darkness deceive you. Christ is your light. Christ has won for you freedom from slavery to sin and free life with him forever. As we go from darkness to dawn, we see the wonderful mercy of our God who brings us from darkness to light. <laughs>